Dr. Gaud Jason is a teacher. And to those who want to follow his teaching, he belongs to the church and I've been following from the time he visited us to know who this man is. The Cross and the Clown. The Cross and the Clown Church. You follow it, you are going to see this wonderful man teaching. He has been a blessing to many and he was connected to us through Bishop Tanda Mulenga. And from that time up to date, I say he's a friend. Mm -hmm. Shall we put our hands together as welcome Dr. Gout to teach. Thank you. organizers we are looking at relationship and destiny relationship and destiny over time praise God it's good to be with you you can be seated I want to first just acknowledge my friend Martin here who is visiting if you want to stand once again uh, I, I want to say, never ever waste a moment because you don't know what God will do. And our paths crossed earlier this week and it's been a warm relationship and uh, Martin is a church planter. We need to pray for him and his work and his ministry. Um, but yeah, I praise God for you. So thank you for being with us. Let's get to work, shall we? Go to Genesis chapter 1. Relationships, destiny, love, the sovereignty of God. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Genesis chapter 1, let's look at verse 26. Later we're going to go to Ephesians, so be ready. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, these are the words of our good and gracious God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the, of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for this Lord's day and the grace shown to us in being able to gather like this. I ask and pray that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that we might learn how better to serve you, how better to follow you. You have given us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying that you have given us everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 Man, it's good to be here again. I love Zambia. I love UCC. Uh, the father and I have developed quite a relationship, and I praise God for him and his family. Uh, it's good to see the passion and excitement. I, too, play the drums, so 
Mr. Drummer, good work. Uh, man, it's good, it's good to be here. And uh, this love week has been interesting. Uh, being here Wednesday, I wish I could have been with you Thursday and Friday. I would come and do evangelism anytime. We do quite a bit of evangelism in the United States, and we need it. We need gospel preaching everywhere. But it's good to, to be here again. We've looked at the topic of love, haven't we? You've been spending time learning about it. Wednesday, I explored the relationship between love and feelings. And if you recall, I stated that all understanding of love must be rooted in the fact that God is love. Yes? You know, love is patient, love is kind. God is patient, God is kind. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 13. If we start, though, if we start with our own hearts, our own desires, we'll never really have a proper definition of love. So remember what I said Wednesday night. Love is not self-referential. You cannot define love on your own terms, nor can love be defined by itself or on its own merit. It's not self-defining. You can't just say, well, love is love, or love is whatever you want it to be. Love, I said, is the intentional practice of God-centered righteousness. Love is the intentional practice of God-centered righteousness. Love must be rooted, love must be an expression that is rooted in the very nature and being of God. Love is only a concept we can explore because God is love. It's the same thing with anything else. Justice is only a concept we can explore because God is just. Grace is only a concept we can explore because God is what? Gracious. And you get the idea. So love only makes sense in the Christian worldview. Okay, I want you to hear that. Love only makes sense in the Christian world and life view because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the Trinitarian nature of God, God is love. And love means nothing on its own. It means nothing on its own. And love means nothing when it comes from idolatrous convictions. My task this morning is to help us navigate Lord willing, the connection between love, destiny, the future, your relationships. Uh, some of you desire to be married, and so we're going to get into that, and I have some things for you later. But I want to deal with love and the sovereignty of God. What is it that God has called us to do as men and women? What, what, how, how might our relationships affect what God has called us to do? What purpose does what purposes do our relationships have when, we, when they work together? A, a husband and a wife coming together to labor and so on. What, is, what exactly has God called us to do? What happens when a husband or a wife is brought into the picture? Does the plan change when somebody gets married? Uh, what does your spouse do with your calling? with what God has put in your life, and how do those things intersect? These are the types of questions we're going to discover today, okay? Now, I want to take a minute and deal with something on the front end of this message. 
The question before us this morning is a question that has plagued philosophers, it has plagued bread makers, it has plagued professors, and it has plagued floor scrubbers, which is to say everyone. What is man? Who is man? What is his purpose? I believe that understanding ourselves is caught up and tied together with understanding God. And these two pieces of knowledge cannot be separated. You'll never know yourself unless you know God. That's why evangelism is so important. Man is not autonomous, meaning he doesn't live on his own. He's not a law to himself. He is a derivation. He is derived from God the Sovereign One. So nothing came to existence by chance, right? God spoke it, so it was. Rather, God's own counsel brought forth all things. So I want to tell you, man has two things. Man has two things. One, he has an objective or a job. That's given from on high. It's imputed from on high. And two, man has purpose. You all have purpose. That is something that is issued from on high as well. So you have an objective, a job, and you have a purpose and a goal. Amen? So creation, God has structured creation. He put man in there and he has directed man. Creation is structured. Man has a direction. Therefore, in order to adequately answer the question of man, we simply must know ourselves in terms of God and his creation ordinances. So our lives are to be ordered in such a way as to align with God's commands. Okay, so who is man? He's a cre creature made in the image of God. His life is to be a reflection of God's orderliness, God's sovereignty, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. It's supposed to align with God, and this includes our relationships and the concept of love. So, look at Genesis 1 again. The Bible tells us that God, in his predestinating purposes, he decided by his own counsel, his own will, to create man. He made man, male and female, he made them in his image, in the image of himself. And what was their job? To have dominion, correct? You see it in the, in the Bible, it's right there. To have dominion over the creation. So God created man in his image, Male and female, that is a binary my country refuses to accept. God made them male and female. It's very simple. But it is really simple. What did God do? What did God order them to do exactly? Well, it's very basic. What, is, what does God want you to do with your life? Reflect His glory. That's it. Reflect His glory. You have the image of God put on you. And when you're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He has branded you. You are His child. You are set apart for His glory. Your job is to reflect that glory every moment of every day. Man is an image bearer, which means he's a light bearer. We are all light bearers. We are to carry the light of God into the world. So all of creation was put in place with order and structure, correct? Order and structure, all in adherence to God's law. Some of you are studying science and history and law, medicine. God gave laws for all of those things. 
All of it, creation is structured this way. And it's done so for the express purpose of preparing man for the great project of heavenizing the world. Why do we pray, your will be done, your kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven? God expects his will and his kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God didn't create the world to be empty and lacking, but to be filled and abundant. The provisions were set in place. There were plants and seeds for food. There were animals to enjoy. Man is the capstone of it all. He's to manage the affairs of the world on behalf of God as a steward of creation. And the creation was meant to, to, to be enjoyed, to be explored, to be put to use. And guess what? Creation was considered very good only after God had made man. It wasn't good. It was good, but it wasn't very good. And he made his firstborn son, Adam. Everything belonged to God. Man had no natural rights at this point. He just was belonging to God, rights given by God. So man was told to be fruitful and multiply. And some of you are excited about that. <laughs> you want to be fruitful and multiply. You want to have marriages. You want to have children. And you want to keep the generations of men alive and well. And on top of that, these Adam and Eve were told to fill the earth and subdue it. And in Genesis 2.15, look at that real quick. Don't miss this verse. Genesis 2.15. Then Yahweh God, the Lord God, the Creator, took the man and set him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Cultivating the garden park defines his vocation in relationship to the earth. Freely eating of the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, defines his relationship, his vocation and relationship to heaven. Guard the garden. All right? Guard the garden. Don't eat of that one tree. And they were eventually going to eat of that tree. That's the tree of wisdom. That's the tree of maturity. That's the tree where we partake of to discern between good and evil. But they weren't ready yet. As a king, Adam was to work the ground. He was to grow fruits and vegetables and order the world in terms of God's law. As a priest, Adam's job was to guard the garden sanctuary where God dwelt with men and to protect it from intruders. He was to protect the woman, his wife. And we all know what happened. Now, there were three gifts that God gave to man. He gave man a garden park, a sanctuary to worship the living God. He gave him a vocation, a task, a calling to work and keep, to cultivate, right? And three, gentlemen, this is your greatest gift outside of the Lord. God gave him a wife. After forming man, making him alive, God planted the garden and noticed that we have an order here. There's the world, there's, there's man, there's a garden. Adam was there watching God make the garden. People miss this point. But Adam was there. He was already created. And he was watching God learn how to create gardens. And God is the great gardener. And remember Mary, by the way, Mary acknowledged when she thought Jesus was the gardener in the Gospel of John. Do you remember that? He mistook her. He thought that she, she thought that Jesus was a gardener. He is a gardener. 
He is a gardener. He's the second Adam. Adam was to be a gardener under God. Jesus is the second Adam, the true gardener under God. So before going into the land of Eden and going into the world to make it fruitful and to multiply, Adam had to be trained. And he had to be trained in communion with God. He must learn how to worship, how to serve God, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was to be faithful toward him in every area of his life. His thoughts, his actions, his mouth, what he said. He was to glorify God. Adam was a religious being. He was created to commune with God. And all of life is to be lived in this covenant with God. Now, before exiting the garden, remember the garden was in the east of the land of Eden. It was in the east of the land of Eden. And when you leave, you go out into the world. And before Adam was to leave, to expand heaven's influence, to expand heaven's vision, to expand the kingdom of God. Before that, Adam needed to learn. He needed to be trained. In order to rule, Adam has to serve the covenant Lord Yahweh. And the purpose of creation is what then? Well, it's the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of creation. God made us to show his glory. The kingdom of God is what matters in man's subordinate relationship to God and how he serves King Yahweh. That is the foundation. Flip to the book of Ephesians in your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5. You've seen this passage before, I'm sure of it. It can be a confusing passage, but I think... Once we kind of dig in, we'll see. Ephesians 5, verse 22 says this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. While we don't have time to go into every single detail, I want you to notice a few things. First, everyone submits in some fashion. Everyone. None of us are exempt from submission. All right? All believers are to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Amen? We are all to submit to his kingship, his kingdom, his leadership. He is the captain of our souls. 
we submit to him in everything. Church members are called to obey and submit to their leaders in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And here, wives are to submit to their husbands. But what we are speaking about is submission to the Lord. Wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. This is about obeying Jesus more than anything. That's why I told you Wednesday, you need someone that loves Jesus more than you. Because if they don't, they're not going to lead the way they should. They, they won't be able to do what Paul says here in Scripture. Second, there is mutual servanthood here. The wife is a servant helper. The wife is a servant helper. And that is glorious. That is glorious. Women are doubly glorious. Amen? They have the image of God. And Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 11 that they're the image of, of man. Because Eve came from man. That doesn't mean she's less than. She's actually more than. In some regards, she is more than. But the wife is a servant helper. The husband is a servant lord. He's a servant lord. He has responsibility. The husband is the leader and the protector. And he is to lead his family in the dominion mandate. We just saw in Genesis 1. John Calvin said it this way, Where love reigns, there is mutual servanthood. Where love reigns in a home, in a family, in a relationship, where love reigns, there is mutual servanthood. There is a desire to love and express that love through sacrifice with another person. And we're not talking about slaves and masters or employees and employers. We're talking about love being at the center of the relationship. And both parties are actively submitting to Jesus in their respective positions. Okay? Husbands are to love Christ. What are, what are the wives supposed to do? Love Christ. Both must submit to Jesus Christ in their positions. And now I'll tell you this, and men, you need to know this secret, okay? Because we're going to get into some of these things. A woman has no trouble submitting to a husband who is loving her like Jesus loved the church. She has no trouble following you in that regard. If you are laying your life down for her, she will respect you more than anything. She has no trouble respecting a man who is determined to provide, to protect, and to keep the family healthy. Amen? Am I right, ladies? That's, that's what women want. They're like, amen, 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 say it again, say it again. That's the secret sauce, the secret recipe. And I, you know why? Because it's in the Bible. Go figure, the Bible knows how to tell us about relationships. The mystery is in verse 32. Paul says, this mystery is great. I love that comment. It's almost like a, this is baffling, I know, men and women, husbands and wives. This mystery is great, but ultimately what he's saying is, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. What a statement. The Apostle Paul says here that marriage is a snapshot. It is a picture of the covenantal relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. The church, in verse 24, is to be subject to Christ. Right? That's what the church is for, to bow before King Jesus. Christ, we know, loved the church and gave himself up for her, Therefore, husbands must be doing the same thing. 
to give yourself up for her. She's your queen. Treat her like it. I wondered when that amen was coming. That was verse 25. But, but what's the reason for that? Well, so that Jesus might sanctify the church. And what does Jesus do to sanctify the church? Well, he tells us, look at verse 26. He does so by washing her with water baptism and the word of God. So men, that's what you're called to do. That's what you're called to do. The husband's job is the same as Jesus's job. He is to present the bride in her glory, no spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes, her holiness is at stake. Verse 27. So men, for your future wife, your job is to make sure she's more holy. That's your task. The man's home must be a biblical, that is, Bible-saturated home. If you want to wash your family with the Word, the home needs to be surrounded in the Word. It must be saturated in the word. But how do husbands do such things? Well, he loves and pays close attention to her just like he would his own body. Verse 28. When he loves his wife, Paul says he loves himself. Now why is that the case? Because the two are one flesh. Do you see the logic of the passage here? And on top of that, his job is to nourish and cherish his wife because that's what Jesus does with his bride. Verse 29. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Now let's, I always ask in our church, how shall we then live? So we've dug into the text. What do we, what do we need to do? I want to get extremely practical and personal here. So feel free to amen, laugh, you know, whatever. The Western world is at a tipping point. As, especially in my nation, in America, it's rapidly slipping down into the abyss of total moral anarchy, okay? Anything goes. No one cares. Just do whatever makes you happy. Terrible advice, right? Just follow your heart. Oh, I don't know. I read Jeremiah 17, and the heart is deceitful. <laughs> so don't follow your heart, friends. Follow the Holy Spirit who will lead your heart into truth. Make sure you get that right. But one of the things in my country that's being discussed by a lot of Christians is, is biblical manhood and womanhood. And, and I think we're seeing the family being torn asunder, torn apart, and we need to recover that so we know how to have godly families. We need to know these things. In other words, we need men to be strong, godly men, God-fearing men, and we need women to be productive, godly women too. And the world wants to blur the lines between man and woman, but the Bible is clear on this matter. He made them male and female. Now, this means, though, that we need to know exactly what God is calling us to do as men. All right? I, I, you brought me to tears with your testimony. Um, God is a good father. But we need to know what God is calling us to do as men what God is calling us to do as women. If we don't understand that, how will we ever have successful marriages? We just won't. And neither will know exactly what God expects of them, so you're going to have problems, all right? Now listen, we need men who are willing to say, my life for yours. 
That's what we need. Young man, that's your task. My life for yours. Ladies want me to go hard. We can take it though, right? Because it's truth. We need men who are willing to say, my life for yours. Because that's what Jesus did. My life for yours. Being a husband means taking responsibility. Don't blame anybody for your folly. I always say, don't blame Satan for your own stupidity. Don't blame anybody else. Take responsibility. I created this mess. I need to figure a way out. Lord Jesus, help me. Don't blame it on anybody else. It's not the government's fault, though the government has its own issues. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Don't blame anybody else. Take responsibility. Sacrifice your needs and wants. Give your life for another. You protect the woman. When I go to a restaurant, I sit a certain way. I know where the door is. Because if somebody comes in to do harm, I'm going to give my life for hers. I will protect my family. But you protect the woman. You protect the family. You give your life for your wife, you give your life for your kids, and you say, well, I only have one life. Yes, spend it all. <laughs> spend it all. But I don't have anything left to give. Yes, you do, because you're still breathing air. That's, that, what I've just described, that's a leadership that's worthy of respect and submission. And being a wife means being a helpmeet. Okay? You need to be a helper. That's what Eve was for. So you need to not be selfish either, ladies. I'm going to go after you too. You need to not be selfish. You need to be diligent. You need to manage time well. You too need to be mature. You need to grow. Usually women are more mature than men. Because women are learning practical things while men are just out kicking a ball around. Which is fine and we'll wrestle each other, right? That's what the boys are doing. We're out wrestling each other, giving each other bloody noses, and the ladies are baking bread. You know, like, you're way ahead of us. But you need to be, too, you need to be diligent as well, ladies. You need to aid the husband, serve him, help him, encourage him. Carry out this dominion mandate together, okay? I know you're, I know, there's only a couple of us here, a few of us that are married, but all of you are thinking about it. You're processing it. God has chosen you for this task, and so you're, you're, you need to know these things now, all right? Now listen, <laughs> men chop down trees and build the home, okay? Men chop the trees down. In this analogy, we're having a wooden house, okay? You chop the trees down, you build the home. Blood, sweat, and tears. Women, your job is to decorate and adorn the home with glory. And together they make the home productive by joining the church for the expansion of the kingdom. So men, build a home, enjoy your wife, do your job well. We're talking, you want to talk about destiny. What is God calling you to? That's what he's calling you to. Okay? Build a home, enjoy your wife, do your job well. Women, adorn the home with beauty. And men, let me give you a tip. After 17 years of marriage, 
when my wife comes to me and says, what do you think about these curtains? Or what do you think about this paint? Or what do you think about this? And you know what my response is? Babe, if you think it looks great, I think it looks great. <laughs> trust me, gentlemen, trust me. <laughs> Women, adorn the home with, with, with beauty. Respect your husband. Do your job well. You worship the living God. You stay in the Word. You remember that you are being cultivated by Christ in His Spirit too. And there's an order to this, you'll see. And I'll tell you right now, when it comes to the predestinating sovereignty of God and what relationships are supposed to look like, you should know that there is an order. And I'm going to tell you the order. And you can look in Scripture. Noah did it this way. I mean, you can see the order here. Who, who you marry will either make or break God's vocational calling for you. Okay? So you have to be careful. And, 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 and ladies, just be patient because men, we are thick-headed, all right? We don't always get it right. Sometimes we're cowards, and we have to repent of that. Cowards are thrown in the lake of fire. You know that, right, Revelation? Don't be a coward. But there's an order here. Who you marry will either make or break it. So choose wisely. Take the time. And how that relationship works depends on the quality and maturity of the people in the relationship. So you need to know where each other's at. Okay, so what's the order? Here's the order. This is how it's supposed to work. Number one, you must be a Christian first. If you're at odds with the Lord who made you, then you're already missing a step. You have no business messing with a godly woman. And ladies, you too. If, if you are not a Christian and you're not obeying Him, you have no business messing with a godly man. So you have to be clear on that. You want the blessing of God. In this case, if you skip that step, again, don't be unequally yoked. You want the, in that case, you want the blessing of God without the obedience that God demands. That's a problem. And listen to me, men and, and, and women. Your first responsibility is to be a faithful Christian. That's your first responsibility. That was Adam's first responsibility. Before he got to work, he was to worship God. Fear God, not men. That's the first step towards the future. So you must walk with God. Number two, you must be a godly husband or wife your spouse now we're talking about marriage okay you're a Christian but now you have a wife now you have a husband while still loving and serving and fearing God men you must love serve protect and enjoy your wife your eyes belong to her don't you dare look at another woman with lust your eyes belong to her now you are to enjoy her Starting and loving your family is a mark of a mature man. Starting a family, loving your family is the mark of a mature man. So you must be a godly husband. And ladies, you must be a godly wife. And before we get to the next step, I want to say this, and it's very important that you don't simply rush to this point. Oftentimes, men will give love to get sex. 
And oftentimes, women will give sex to get love. Men can be deceitful. They can pretend to love. And then the woman, perhaps she becomes deceited. She, she, deceived, rather. She, she becomes deceived. And, and now there's a problem because you have broken... You haven't even made a covenant yet, but you're acting like you're in a covenant. And that's sexual sin that needs to be repented of. But many times in relationships, both people tend to give their hearts away before there's a period of testing, before there's a period of trust building. Don't rush into relationships here. Take the time. But once you're there, you are building a new family. The husband leaves his family, the wife leaves hers. Together they begin a new family. And this is good. It's God's design. Third, when your family grows and you have kids, you must be present fathers and steadfast mothers. So you're, at this point, you're a Christian. You find a godly wife, godly husband. Third, you have children. By the blessing of God, you must be present fathers and steadfast mothers. Father hunger is a real epidemic in my nation and this nation. Young men who are fatherless, who have either been left by their father, whatever the situation, there's a famine of fatherhood. A famine of fatherhood. Fathers who have children outside of wedlock and they leave the relationship. Fathers who have children inside marriage but end up leaving the family for another woman. It's a problem. Whatever the case, it is a real problem. So we have a lot of young men who do not know the first thing about fatherhood because when there's father hunger, they don't know how to be a father. Now you must trust the Heavenly Father. As the father goes, so goes the family. Amen? As the father goes, so goes the family. If the, family, if the father in the home is following Jesus and loving his wife the way he is supposed to, then the family will flourish. I promise you it. It's God's design. It will flourish. And that's what women want. That's what women need. So listen to me, gentlemen. Please hear me. And I'm speaking mostly to the men because ultimately it's your responsibility. You're the head of the home. You're the one who has to die for her. Fourth step, you must make a home. You must be a Christian. You need a godly spouse. Okay? You need to be present fathers and steadfast mothers. Tell you what, a mom who prays is a powerful thing. But number four, you must make a home. Here's what I mean. Anyone can build a home, but it takes a God-fearing family to make a home. When I say make a home, I mean it's, it's your destiny. It is your God-given purpose and calling inside the dominion mandate of Genesis 1 and 2. It's, it's your purpose to have all of these previous things in place. And additionally, men... You are called, and you will be called as husbands, to work hard, to work very hard, to make money, to provide food, and make sure your family is in church. One pastor said it well, civilizations are built by men who have families to feed. 
Making a home means loving and communicating with your wife or your husband. It means nurturing your children in the admonition of the Lord, giving them a Christian education. It means going to work, being on time, giving your absolute best, trusting God with the rest. Okay? It means tithing to the Lord, making sure your family honors the Sabbath day. It means, it means being in church, being faithful church members, helping the mission of the kingdom of God. That's what godly families look like. That's how you make a home. It means laughing and crying and working through problems with the help of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Keeping short accounts. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 13 earlier. Love is patient. Love is kind, right? It's not envious. It doesn't boast. And, and God is love, so you could read that. God is patient. God is kind. God doesn't envy. God doesn't boast. It's God who throws our sins into the, the abyss and forgets them. You want to be a loving servant of another in your relationship? Study 1 Corinthians 13, that section about love that's oftentimes read at weddings and know that that's who God's called you to be. Making a home means building a civilization and from there the nations are discipled. And I'll tell you, it's a bold thing today to do these steps in order. It's a bold thing. It's a courageous thing. But I'll tell you, it's the biblical pattern. It's the biblical pattern. When we look at the garden, we notice a few things. One, God made Adam, and then God had Adam watch how he built that garden. So God was teaching him a trade so that Adam could work hard and glorify God in this way. You want to do business, you want to do law, you want to do medicine, science, history, you want to teach English, you want to do all of these things, know that your Father gave you those gifts. Your heavenly Father gave you those gifts. And you're to do those things to His glory and learn. When you study science and mathematics and all of these things, you're studying God. He's not in that, but He gave it to us. You're studying His mind when you do mathematics. I don't love math. Anybody love math? I'm not a big fan, but all right, that's fine. You can love math. <laughs> The second thing, God gave him a helper. And I tell you, wives are the helpmeet. And I, oh, the blessing that is my wife, I can't tell you. She has been such an encouragement to me. But together you have a mission, you have a calling, you have a purpose, something to achieve. Be it in the realm of politics or healthcare or missions to America, because some of you guys need to come. We need it, we need help. Maybe it's running a restaurant. Whatever it is, you're working together. Third thing, God gave Adam a vocation to work and keep the garden. Okay, He gave Adam a vocation to work and keep the garden, to cultivate, to build, to honor, to protect. Those are the virtues you want in your marriage. Your future marriage should look like those things. And it extends to the family. And then fourth, God gave Adam and Eve the blessing of children. And you better believe the Bible believes children are a true blessing from the Lord. And listen, as we wrap up here, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10.31 All relationships must glorify God. They just must. They must glorify God. They must honor Him. They must point to Him. They must reflect Him. 
Let me get personal here. Some of you here are dating a man or a woman that you have no business being with right now. That may be you, maybe it's not, but you have no business. And it could be because you aren't mature in a certain area yet, and you're not ready for self-sacrificial love because you're selfish. Could be because you don't know how to manage finances. You're spending more quacha than you're bringing in. Could be because you're not ready to lead. Maybe as a man, you're not ready to die. Maybe you fear other men. And ladies, maybe you're just not ready to be a helpmate. Maybe God's doing work in you and you need to be patient. Perhaps you just need to be in a season of waiting and praying and fasting. Perhaps you need to work through some issues and take time in the relationship. Never rush it. Sometimes it just takes time. Find someone to counsel you. Find someone to guide you. Find someone who has actually been married for more than five minutes <laughs> and can tell you about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Perhaps you, you have sexual sin and addictions that you need to repent of. And that's why you're not ready yet. Others may be ready to go. Some of you are really ready to go. And my advice would be for you to take what you've heard here seriously and evaluate it. Men, if you believe God has called you to a certain thing, let's say it's business. You want to be a businessman, then good, praise God. Your job is to be a faithful Christian first and foremost, and then you may approach a lady. Then you may approach a lady. A lady you find to be a delight. She laughs at your jokes. She smiles when you walk into the room. You be a godly Christian first, amen? And then you can approach this lady, and when you approach this lady, you may say something like this, well, would you like to join me in this mission to build a family, have children, obey Jesus Christ, serve the kingdom of God. And would you, my beautiful lady, like to make sure that I'm the best businessman I can be in Zambia? I'm not done, I'm not done. And then you continue. And perhaps this is over, uh, you know, a cup of coffee somewhere or tea, whatever you like. And then you say, well, listen, two are better than one. The Bible says that. Two are better than one, and together we will be kings and queens in service of the king of kings. Now, let me tell you, <laughs> if she says, Mkwai. <laughs> if she says that, you have a winner. And you are on your way. Whatever the case, know this, friends, know this. <laughs> I was laughing when I wrote that last night. God demands and desires mercy, not sacrifice, right? He desires faithfulness to him above all. And, and if you cannot give him the faithfulness that is due his name because you have not yet submitted your life to the authority of the gospel... If you do not believe the marriage that you are about to partake of will be capable of being faithful to God first and foremost, then do not do it. Do not go into any relationship half-hearted. Don't, men, don't approach a woman with 
idols in your heart and say, my heart is yours. Are you sure? Because you seem to love money more than Christ. And she'll find it too. Women have that discernment. They'll, they know. Don't go into any relationship half-hearted. You must go into it with a heart full of love towards God and neighbor. You must die for her, gentlemen. You must go in with a heart full of grace, a heart full of mercy, a heart full of sacrifice, a heart full of maturity and responsibility. That is what God is calling you to do. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we glorify you. And I thank you for my friends here at UCC. I pray your blessing on them. May you be glorified in their relationships. The ones that are happening now, I pray for them. I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment. Help them to know what it is you've called them to so that they know what love truly looks like so they can obey the, the, the dominion mandate. God, give them grace for relationships that are to come. Perhaps this year, perhaps in two years, whatever they are, you know, Father. And I pray that you would prepare hearts now, that these hearts would be broken before you and filled by your Spirit. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.